0: Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
1: My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners, tune in from all over the world. But there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from a curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of the moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening.
0: Dave Arnold, your host okay. of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45, from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How are you doing, Stas? Good. You weren't here last week. Why? What were you doing?
2: Um, I was...
0: Uh-huh. You're not allowed I'm to th- talk th- No, it? no, I'm thinking. You, uh, Johnny me, like your life goal. It was your life goal.
2: My life goal was to feed Saturday Night Live, and I did.
0: Yeah, and uh, you got you got Instagram down. You got by out Michael the, Che. Now, so you check out Michael Che's Instagram. And he
2: became the first black writer in Saturday Night Live history to become head
0: writer that yeah. same day. So big. Yeah. So uh, also, if you want to see what Nastasia Lopez can do if she actually likes someone like <laughs> Michael Che, you can check out Michael Che's Instagram and look for the pasta flyer thing. Like you know, you can be thoughtful sometimes. Yeah. And creative, sometimes.
2: Sometimes. Yeah. So this is how'd it go? Uh, I think it went well. I think it went well. They liked it. You made a cocktail for them. I think it went well.
0: (laughs) I did. You were like... (laughs) hoo, he cheated. (laughs) What? You you cheated. I cheated. I did cheat. It's not a cheat. You know what? I'm I'm all for Mm. this. Listen, people's, people's, people's. Listen, when you're making a cocktail and there's a flavor that you like, right, only maybe you're lazy or maybe you don't have... Also, they told us the
2: day before...
0: Yeah, so. and you don't have the time or mm-hmm. what, you know what's really good is like high quality, if you don't mind the cook flavor, right? So the thing is, is that like a lot of the stuff that we do, we're trying to get like a super fresh flavor. And that's when we bust out like, you know, centrifuges and, you know, cold clarification techniques and all that kind of stuff. Uh, <clears throat> you know, rotovap if you want like cold reductions. Like we remember when we used to do the port syrup cold? Mm-hmm. That's the delicious. Uh, you know, for those kind of things. But if you don't mind a cooked flavor, jelly is delicious. And so you just hit jelly with Pectinex, and then you... Jelly. What was that? What was that? Uh, what was that character on Rudolph who's full of jelly? Yeah, a water gun that squirts jelly. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so uh, so you take jelly. And <laughs> Always the Rudolph, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you take the well, it is the Christmas episode after all. So you take the uh, the jelly, you hit it with uh, pectinex, and um, then you put it with uh, uh, liquor so that it's completely stable, and you can make these delicious jelly syrups. So we did that with Concord grape because you know we like a Concord grape here at Cooking Issues. What about you, Dave? Dave in the booth. I didn't say hello to you yet today. Hey. Yeah, doing? I'm right here. No, I'm doing <laughs> good. I'm good, I'm good going. <laughs> yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts on Concord grapes?
3: Uh, eh, what what? kind of what are you, ambivalent, what you, I guess.
0: Are you French? Do you like peanut butter?
3: Well, yeah. I don't. I don't often make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches.
0: No, but, I mean, did, <laughs> did you not grow up with that? Well, yeah, sure. Are you part of the allergy generation? You know, there's a whole generation of kids that don't know what it's like to be an American. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, well, seriously, like they grew up. I mean, like I'm all for not having that stuff in schools if people are gonna if people are violently allergic now, which I guess they weren't in the '70s, or at least we didn't pay attention to them. Maybe we, I don't know what happened. Maybe they were there and we just we wiped them out because the silent we were, majority. Because we were so well, we were so. Non caring in the 70s that we just didn't care about people and so we just you know sprayed allergic people with peanut butter. On, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't really know. I haven't thought mm-hmm. about it. But point being that that you know my kids' generation did not grow up in school on PB and J's, at least not in New York. I had a mean?
3: lot of tuna fish sandwiches growing up.
0: Ooh, really? Yeah. So like mercury poisoning action, like a lot of tuna fish. Like yeah, probably. probably Jeremy, probably that Jeremy level. Piven stuff. Remember when he? Went crazy and got arrested and said it was because he ate so much sushi that he had mercury poisoning.
3: Yeah, vaguely sounds sounds suspect, but you know, so is his acting career.
0: Well, now, yeah. Well, uh, I love any kind of crazy. Like, there's been like a number of insane food defenses over the years, and they've often been linked. Well, of course, because you're it's a defense, right? Been linked to like horrible behavior. Like, uh, in the what was it 70s when Harvey Milk was uh, murdered, and then they they the murderer instead of just saying. I'm an evil, like, hater, homophobe, was like, I ate too many Twinkies. Remember that? It was called the Twinkie Defense. Literally, oh, it's was called yeah, the yeah. Twinkie Defense. And he blamed, uh, first of all, why would you, like, if you're going to blame something, does it have to be Twinkies? Like, you know, like our, our favorite childhood sponge cake with cream filling? Does it have to be Twinkies? I mean, it, it actually wasn't only Twinkies. It was just, uh, I th- believe it was, it's been a long time since I've researched this, but, like, I believe it was steroids and lots of sweets. And so they called it the Twinkie defense. <laughs> uh, I don't think t- the Twinkies were actually specifically implicated.
3: Yeah, it was probably more the steroids.
0: Or Mel Gibson. What did Mel Gibson blame it on?
3: The Jews. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh was my he, God. He was how alcohol. does he?
0: How does he? Yeah, alcohol. That's different. Alcohol. I mean, alcohol <laughs> has been blamed since time immemorial. Have you heard that song uh, "Alcohol," where it's all about? Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, was that Brad Paisley sings alcohol? You don't listen to any sort of I don't country, country no. at all. All right. Uh, all right, so call in your questions, uh food food music related or not, too. Seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. That's seven one eight four nine seven two one two eight. By the way, everybody's favorite punching bag. <laughs> Peter it's
2: unfortunately not here.
0: Peter the punching bag, Kim. Hey listen, any if any of you people out there are uh, game designers and are into <laughs> what? they Oh not here? Yeah. Anyway, listen, seriously. That was
3: for Peter, not game designers.
0: If any of you out there are game designers or ROM hackers, you know what a ROM hacker is, Nastasia? A ROM hacker is someone that takes old uh, Mm. game ROMs and then hacks them. So, yeah, so let's do that. So listen, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to go (laughs) get, don't do anything illegal, but go do something illegal. (laughs) Go get the ROM for Punch-Out or for Super Punch-Out, and I want you to modify Glass Joe's sprites to make it into Peter Kim. I will say, if anyone can do this out there, if anyone and in...
2: every time he gets hit, he has to make the sound that's on your
0: phone. No, it's so like body blow, body blow. It's like we <laughs> no, could,
2: but he's got to go,
0: oh. Well, I don't know how they, a lot of this sounds, I don't remember whether punch out is a sample-based sound or whether punch out is a computer-generated sound. <laughs> but anyway, anyone who's out there who's a ROM hacker will know what I'm talking about. I will get you the correct images. I will get you the pixel art. For Peter Kim in the various Glass Joe positions and we can do a super punch out of of Kim Peter Kim and I think it would be it would be a great gift to him to have the super punch out version of Peter Kim. Wouldn't that be amazing, Dave? Oh yeah. I mean, it would be a great honor. I mean, I would love to have myself oh my God, get the crap so beat sad. out of me. I mean, look, you don't, we don't have to make Peter into Glass Joe. We can make Peter into, like, Mr. Sandman or any one of the characters there. But, you know, Glass oh, Joe be...
3: I never beat that game. No? No, I couldn't beat Mike Tyson.
0: Really? Yeah. Well, there's Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I never Super owned it either, out, though, so I... there, there's, Okay, so, I, I don't know. Like, I guess that's true. There's the, any, there's the Nintendo version, but there's also the arcade version. I guess you could choose. Whatever's easiest to hack.
3: Oh, I never played it in the arcade.
0: Whatever's easiest to hack. Uh, arcade was interesting. The original Punch-Out was interesting because it was a dual monitor kind of a situation. Wait, right? how would you
3: hack the arcade? Don't you need to have the console in your possession to do it?
0: Clearly, you are not up on ROM hacking, my friend. I guess friend. not. You have a MAME emulator, and you have a the ROM, and it's it's easier to hack, I think, the, the uh, console stuff because more people have done console hacking, but you can't... Because another dream, someone... I've actually already done it, but my editors don't uh, work. I wanted to hack the editor, the uh, sprites for a game called Tapper, where it's like a bartender thing and put like my favorite bartender's faces. Oh, yeah, faces. I remember that one. Yeah, I want to put my favorite bartender's faces in place of that person's face and then have like selectable like which ROM you open and you could have, you know, you could have any bartender you want be the tapper. It would be great. First of all, they need a female tapper and then, you know, swap out the dancing ladies for somebody else when you give them a tip. Anyway, all good stuff. Yeah,
3: I'd bring uh, a current. What? It's got current, guys. Come on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so someone out there has to know how to do this. Anyway,
2: Peter's on here.
0: So Peter Kim is not here. He was supposed to come here and make a pitch for uh, the museum. Instead, literally, he's like, I have no time, because he's sitting there hitting refresh, waiting for you to donate to the Museum of Food and Drink. (laughs) So he's sitting there, constantly refreshing his email, waiting for donations coming in, and his refresh finger is so, like, you know, so hurting that he, you know, couldn't come into the radio show today. He
2: doesn't even want to go out for our Christmas party.
0: Yeah, he. Well, by Christmas party, Nastasia means that Nastasia and I are going to go out for drinks and pretend that we have a real company. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true or false?
2: True. All
0: right. Uh, by the way, are we going to get Karen on later or no? Do we have her?
2: Nobody's responded to
0: me. All right, listen. Uh, I will say this before I go in. We had a question, a, re- a relatively in-depth question uh, on. Oh, right.
2: she just emailed him. Oh yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Is she, does to she know. have time?
2: I don't know. Well, you figured you out. See we'll see talk that. about it later. Okay,
0: so uh, listen. You guys got to pretend that I'm uh, your favorite uh, punching. MoFAD punching bag, Peter Kim. Body blow, body blow. <laughs> uh, uh, reading this. Actually, I'm supposed to pretend that I'm me reading this, right? Yeah. Anyway, so the Museum of Food and Drake... This is actually serious business. The Museum of uh, Food and Drake desperately needs uh, your funds for its continued operation. Um, and so... Uh, I, Oh well what's what's hilarious what's is, hilarious is when he wrote this promo out for me to read and doesn't realize that you it's hard believe it or not, folks, like it's hard to add like to combine ad libs from a promo in the middle of uh, actually reading out the promo. So it's like if I could either just completely ad lib what I'm gonna tell you, or I could just read something, but the combination of reading something and then ad-libbing is relatively difficult to get it to come off properly. You never notice that, Dave?
2: Like where
0: you're supposed to insert stuff. Yeah, like insert yeah insert yeah. information um, here. Um I don't know. Most
3: people seem to have a handle on it.
0: Mm, yeah, well not me. I'm more <laughs> like I'm more like, you know, when I do it, usually what I like to do is insert, like, uh, a fake a fake voice in the middle of it. Anyway, so listen, I'll, I'll answer some questions. We'll do that towards the middle of the show, and I will just look over kind of what the points he wants me to get, and then I will just tell you guys something from the heart about the Museum of Food and Drink. But I will say this. Donate – like, what you're going to want to do, regardless of whether you listen throughout this entire program or not, you're going go, um, to want to go to Donate – dot mofad dot org donate dot mofad dot org to help uh, support the museum of food and drink and then i'll talk more about it i'll give you the extended uh psa later maybe after we come out of the break um should we do a question first okay sure. okay let's do it to a question we're not going to do the complicated brio look we tried to get in touch with uh
2: i'm emailing it to her now yeah
0: but- we tried to get in touch with uh <laughs> uh chef karen at who used to teach bread at uh who used to teach bread at the french Culinary Institute uh, and now she's at Hot Bread Kitchen and does education there. So we had a question on brioche, um, and it was a really complicated, in-depth question, specific stuff on brioche. And as I told Nastasia this morning, uh, Karen can, like, wake up and, you know, and toot out some brioche, like, like no problem. You know, like, and, by the way, <clears throat> interesting fact. You know, uh, I like to say, you know, as has always been said, those who cannot teach do poorly, you know what I mean? Everyone's used to say, those who cannot do teach, this is crap. If you actually teach something day in and day out, you learn so much more about what you're doing because people ask questions, people mess up in ways that you don't understand. So if you really want to ask a question about something like brioche, go ask a bread teacher who for years taught students like day after day how to make brioche and saw everything that could go wrong, go wrong with brioche. And that's how you figure out what's going on. The Same way that like with low temperature cooking or any of that stuff that, you know, uh, I used to teach on a daily basis is just seeing people mess it up day after day after day makes you as a teacher so much better because, A, you have to be able to explain to them how not to mess up, and, B, you get to under see, really see how things get messed up over time. By the way, I'll say one thing before I get – I'll do a question, and then I'll say. But remind me, low temperature. I have something to say, okay? Yeah. What? Low temp. Got it. Low temp. Got it. Aaron wrote in and said – Cold brew coffee on radio show, interested in hearing more. Well, Aaron, <laughs> I wish I could help you out, because here's why. I mean, I know how to make cold brew coffee. I'm doing some interesting work on cold brew coffee uh, in the Spinsall, and I actually have some really interesting... Uh, so Paul uh, Adams, you know, friend of the show, and... Uh, he
2: promoted his kitten the last time he was on there. Yeah, came
0: on the air and promoted his, his new kitten, right? Which is interesting. I mean, I like the fact that, you know, he feels like he has to promote something to come on. He's, he is our uh, resident cold brew expert. And so occasionally he will come to me and say, can we do this or that with cold brew? My problem is it's hard for me to develop stuff without Paul because I don't like cold brew coffee. And so I can't judge whether or not I have done a good job or a bad job on the cold brew coffee because I don't enjoy it. And I don't even think Nastassi enjoys it. No, I don't. What do so, uh, you know, I
2: liked it. What what kind
0: of coffee do you Oh, like? Nastasia likes the, like the crappiest coffee in the world. Like if you any street corner. Oh, I
3: remember this episode. Yeah, this was the greatest hit.
0: Any street any street corner that has some sort of quilted stainless and uh, and like yellowed acrylic window box where the coffee was brewed like in the last century sometime and has been sitting in a pot moldering and turning to garbage, and is then poured into a substandard paper cup that excoriates your tongue and makes you realize that you're a crappy New Yorker, and then has plastic that cuts your lips. Yeah, and that is the kind of coffee that she likes. That's what she enjoys, right? And and she enjoys it because, like my grandpa, right, like my crazy, dead, racist grandpa— like she likes to like crappy stuff on purpose not- just to piss off people that care.
2: That is not true, Dave. There's no this,
3: other. This was where the conversation diverged <laughs> last yeah, time we're as not well. Go there. Yeah, the but intent behind it. Is that
2: the kid from Stranger Things? Out
3: there? <laughs> Wait, what? It's not
0: the kid from Stranger Things. See that Which kid one? Sitting
2: right there. No. The, with the bowl haircut.
0: No. Mm. Which one? No. The lead kid. I don't want Why, don't Why don't we just make it up? Why don't you make it up? Hey, is that, uh, is that David Hasselhoff sitting there in the corner? No, Is that the That's best? That's an you could Asian do? man. What? I mean, th- this kid looks nothing like the that, guy from Stranger. I, that
2: kid in the flannel.
0: Yes, he looks nothing like the kid. He, he is a kid in flannel. Oh, <laughs> Stassi, you're really going over the edge here. Anyway, uh,
3: she, she's seeing stars I, everywhere now.
0: Right. Uh, so anyway, so back to Colbrew. Aaron. What I'm going to do in the, in the new year, I have to say this. Uh, Paul Adams is getting on my case to design a standalone cold brew uh, brewer in the $200 range that can make cold brew in under 20 minutes with good extraction. And the short answer is, yes, I can do it, I've figured it out, but the long answer is, is I haven't mocked up a working prototype and then I would have to actually talk to Nastasia and see whether she wants to get into the business of selling said piece of no. equipment and then I would have to go I will do
2: that if you build the wine zombie
0: the wine zombie is a different, that's a different thing
3: hold up, what's a wine zombie? What's a,
2: what the hell? What are are what's you, a wine
3: zombie? Me, where have you been?
2: It is, the, it is the piece of equipment that most people would want that Dave will not get
0: behind it's the piece of equipment that Nastasia Lopez and Piper Christensen designed <laughs> no, and built me. on Booker and Dax yeah, yeah, yeah. time and so money, so therefore
2: Booker and Dax owns it. So why
0: doesn't Booker and Dax build it? Because it is not part of the. It's not in the oeuvre. Wait, it's so not what in is the it? The oeuvre of Booker and Dax style so equipment. stupid! A wine zombie slash wine Santa slash s- wine it, football player. Whatever is, you want is a mannequin that <laughs> shoots uh, alcoholic beverage, chilled or warm, depending on how you want it, out of its mouth into a punch bowl and it can be made to look like it's vomiting so in the zombie case it's more of a vomit and then uh, the final iteration Nastasia had one that was uh, had a motion sensor and a uh, voice recorder on it such that Santa would say things to you when you walked up to it it would Santa would say things to you like too much eggnog Ah!" and then it was like he was throwing up (laughs) wine
3: it was like vomiting Kermit yeah
2: see isn't that a good
0: idea David Uh, no no
3: I, yeah, sounds great. You, how much would you pay for this?
2: How much item? would you pay for it? Life size mannequin.
3: Mm. Oh, life size. Life <laughs> size. Oh wow. <well>. Yeah, I. <laughs> By the way, Dave, live in a Brooklyn apartment. I'll so. give
0: you. Well, no, no, you rent it for parties. Here's the thing, <laughs> it's it's freestanding, right? So, so ba- you know how like the old joke is. That guy's got a wooden leg. Oh, where's he put all that? You know what I mean? Like, because he's not getting drunk Ew. and he's drinking all this stuff. You know what I'm saying? So, like, this like, Santa literally has... It's, it's, like, more of a plastic leg. It's, like, filled with liquor. And then it just, like, circulates it up with a, with a pump. And then like goes down and, and the uh and Don't
2: give away the, the IP.
0: Oh I think people can figure out how to put a tube in the bottom of a bowl Shh. and run it down Santa's sleeve into his boot. I feel like this thing
3: would kill it on the startup party circuit. Like yes. all the all the bro dudes would I be running it for their parties. And Nastasia, We're do you
0: things people don't want? Do right you <laughs> Well remember, remember Booker and Dax is we are the trailing edge technology. Right. The thing that could fall off the airplane and it flies just fine. And they notice like three fights later that the thing fell like, oh, off. Oh, man. Remember that, like, that blinking light? What that, what was that for? I don't know. It fell off the plane like, you know, a week ago.
3: Yeah, it can't be that important. Yeah, it
0: can't be that important.
2: And then Dave's there like, yeah, but it made it 5% better,
0: guys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: pound. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's that's my life. That's how it's cut. Anyone anyway. hey, take a call? Yeah, sure. Call her. You're on the air. Uh,
4: hey guys, this is uh, Will in Chicago. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Hi. Right. Uh, and just uh, first off for the survey, uh, I'm a 30-year-old man, married. My wife loves kitchen gadgets. I'm a All and Spinsall owner. Love it. Uh, bartender. So. <laughs> Love it. So uh, I actually have a Spinsall coffee-related question, ah. not to belabor the dead horse here at all, but... Um, I'm gonna be making uh, a batch of uh, oat stout uh, with my brew buddy today. Uh, we're gonna to get started probably right after the show, and uh, we want to turn it into a coffee stout. And I think that the Stenzel is an excellent application for this. Uh, I was wondering, it's like um, you could just give me a little bit of like a primer on maybe what you've done, or I also was thinking about maybe using the malt to extract the coffee, um, but uh, I just wanted to run it by you before we did anything.
0: Sure. So uh, I've done more recent uh, coffee experiments uh, since I've uh, did the ma- since I did the manual. Uh, in the manual, I think I used like a like a relatively uh, fine grind. The issue. On, yeah, it's
4: espresso, right?
0: Yeah, but uh, recently I've actually been using, and I think it's probably better uh, coarser grinds um, I, because I think I'm getting better kind of forced percolation results through the, the coarser grinds. <coughs> And so, uh, what I've been doing is, and i you know made it I think simpler on myself. Is uh, you know I pre moisten the, the the trick is you cannot pump grounds like period. You cannot pump coffee grounds. <laughs> Um, so what I've been doing is, uh, mixing it, putting it into the, uh, into the thing, spinning it up. Now, the trouble with the, the spins all, especially if, if there's any sort of vibration with it's just getting it to start up. So sometimes people have had issues with it going into, into flashing mode with coffee grounds, uh, because, uh, if it doesn't spin up fast enough, uh, it doesn't settle out fast enough and go into flashing mode, and so sometimes people have had trouble where they need to do it a bunch of times to get it to go. But once it goes, once it's going, uh, and I hope to fix that problem, once it's going, then I would just just recirculate the water through it and just walk away from it and let it recirculate. And I was able to get it on recirculation. I was able to get the TDS... I forget I forget what the correct numbers were but I got it into the range of a regular concentrate just by doing it on research mode and I got to do it kind of relatively relatively quickly and so it was it ended, it ended up uh, working well keep the extender tubes on it because the idea here is you're trying to force the water to the inside of the rotor and then have it percolate under pressure up through the up through the grounds um, the issue with the Spinzol and the cold brew coffee and where it can be improved is that if you were to stop the unit in the middle of uh, circulation and look at the grounds, you would notice that some of the grounds are more heavily percolated than others because where the mm. tubes are, it ha- it's like preferential to have the stuff percolate through there. And so, um, you know, one of the things I'm considering doing is making a, um, like a forced percolation attachment or... Uh, for the for the unit uh, that... But, again, that would be sometime next year or just doing a standalone cold brew thing. But those are the basic tips that I have for it, if that makes sense.
4: Okay, and uh, just... Uh, what do you think about using the wart to do the extraction? Good idea, bad idea, or useless? Uh...
0: I mean, stickier. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Like, I mean the, Definitely the, stickier. Yeah, the, th- the, the issue is this, right? So... Um, your extract, as you know, as a brewer, your extraction, uh, like your extraction medium, right, has more profound influence over what you extract than you would imagine, right? Mm. So uh, I would say that, you know, the coffee might strip something. You never know, like something's going to adsorb onto the coffee out of the wort. So you know, definitely you'll lose probably only a tiny bit of sugar. I mean, it depends on how much you're going to do. You know what I mean? It might work. It might be It might be delicious. I mean, I would just, I would make some extra and and test it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, remember, though, the advantage of cold brew for this over other things is that the idea being of cold brew, I guess, is that it is more stable because it doesn't, like uh, the cold extracted stuff doesn't um, self-autolize as much as the uh, as the hot brew stuff. I mean, I guess theoretically that's yeah, why. Yeah,
4: lots of those green flavors. Right,
0: yeah, yeah, well, the good yeah. news with the as long as you don't um over pump it, it's is that is the spins all is so much better than um regular filtration at it's like a zero fines, zero fines, mm. especially if you're using the coarser ground stuff, zero fines, uh so I would try it with uh I would try it with work and wor- see what what's going on and and please you know shoot me back at cooking issues and let me know whether or not uh, you had success with it or not
4: yeah I mean the nice thing about the sims I'm going to do a couple test batches so I'll, uh, I'll keep track of my results and I'll let you know
0: alright cool let us know yeah thanks for your help alright cool um, alright so where are we by the way do we, do we need to take a break or are we how are we doing Dave Dave yeah
3: let, let's take a quick break
0: alright cool come right back with more cooking issues <laughs> Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard-to-get grains, and other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily, or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities. But now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry Bob's Red Mill, and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting, fun things to play with. Learn more at bobsredmill.com podcast. And we are back. So uh, we have uh, Chef Karen from Hot Bread Kitchen on the phone. How you doing?
5: I'm good, Dave. How are you?
0: Doing well. Hey, and since we love Hot Bread Kitchen, you want to explain a little bit what it is to people?
5: Sure. Um, we are a bakery in East Harlem, but we're actually a nonprofit organization, and we make and sell bread so that we can provide on-the-job training to women who face barriers to employment. You train women from all around the world, and they spent time um, working in our bakery. We pay them a wage, and um, this, the sale of our bread supports all these efforts. So if you can look for us in green markets and buy our breads, and your purchases will support training for a woman to go through our program and get a great job in the industry.
0: Yeah, but beyond that also, I mean, like, that's great, and I love helping people, but the bread's really good. I mean, that's the other thing. The
5: bread is really good. The bread is really good, and you're going to find breads us that you just don't find anywhere else. Our Moroccan m is this really unusual flatbread, which I don't think you can find anywhere else in New York. Um, we make these great Persian breads, anani Kandi, which is also sort of a flatbread with honey and butter and anani Barberry. And we also make tortillas. We do a true nixtamal tortilla. And I don't think there are too many people in the city doing that. So no, we make great tortillas with yeah. organic, non-GMO corn with the real nixtamal process.
0: Who do you, do you, like, uh, do you deal with the Latienda people for, uh, for, uh, who do you deal with, do you get, where do you get the corn from?
5: You know, we're going through, um, through the green markets for some of it, because some of it is local, Um but I'm not entirely sure who who we're getting the other two from. One of the three we're using is local. We have blue, white, and yellow. Um, and we're going through the green markets for the local
0: corn, and I'm not positive who we're going through for the others. And I know you don't do it anymore, but you guys used to make the only uh, all-tef injera that you could get in New York. I know,
5: and we've been talking about trying to bring that back. We've had a couple Ethiopian... Bakers through our program recently, and they've both been amazing enduro makers. So we're trying to figure out how we can scale that up and, and get that back into the markets.
0: Yeah, so it's one of these w- rare kind of situations where the product quality is really high, and you're doing something and interesting. By the way, as Karen says, there are breads that they make that you just simply don't see or can't get, and these folks do a great job and are doing something great at the same time. So definitely something worthy of worthy of your uh, support. Uh, if simply just by buying their product, you should keep a lookout for hot Bread kitchen, okay, so thank you so much hey, no problem uh and yeah. so so we know each other from the French culinary Institute, I still refuse to yeah. call it the i c c or whatever in the hell they call it nowadays French culinary yeah. institute <laughs> uh where you were the uh, bread teacher, yeah. and uh, we had a question in from Josh Galliano, which is too I mean too long to go into at all. Yeah, you, yeah, we emailed it to you, but it's like it would take the entire rest of the thing to, to that's read why it. I
5: didn't, I, that's why I couldn't call you back too quickly, because I was trying to read through all of the very tense information in his
0: email. <laughs> right, so the 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 short the short of it is is they used to have a, a good quality brioche. Uh, they moved to a new location. They're using, uh, actually, like, High-quality ovens uh, now, but they're having a problem with a kind of wrinkling on their brioche and crust uh, separation, I guess, on, on reheat or retoast because they're, uh, it sounds like they're doing it commercially and then selling to places like hamburger joints.
5: Yeah, it's funny that I just have to tell you that I actually already knew about this guy and this problem because an equipment guy that I know referred him to me for a, a consulting job. So I may not have the consulting job. I may be able to give him the answer uh, through the radio. Hey, but you, this is how small the bread world is. Right, but, but you should pay Karen, I by the way. About Josh and his brioche yeah. problem.
0: Josh, Josh, you should pay Karen for this answer. <laughs> anyway,
5: if it, if it works, I mean, there's there's a lot of information here, but my initial reaction, anytime I hear about cross separation it suggests to me that the bread is over and so i think that his he says that he thinks that the issue is with the proof i think he might be right i don't think it necessarily has to do with the temperature the humidity but i think something is changing and he might think about just under proofing it a little bit proofing
0: it a little bit less than usual as a test to see whether it, see whether test, it helps yeah yeah. I, think-
5: yeah I mean he's also he's changed so many different things, and I and I assume he's sort of making one change at a time, but if he's not, I would definitely recommend that he do that because, you know, so many changes, you can never identify where the solution is if you get to it or, or where the real problem is. Um, he's changed his formula, he's changed his oven, he's changed his grouper and the whole
0: thing. Right, everything's changed. I mean, uh, you know, like, yeah. the, the issue is, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing, is being able to trace kind of what happened, and, and the that's why keeping records is so important and also just focusing on every aspect of what you do is so important. You know the famous, uh, I think it was Armor, the famous sausage story where they moved. <laughs> you know, you know, the, you know that story? Have I told this one on uh, air, Dave? Uh, not sure. There's a famous story, I believe is Armor Sausage, where they had a new factory and all of a sudden the sausage didn't taste right anymore. Nobody liked the sausage that they were making. And they tried to look and they looked at every process they were doing and it turns out they had um, in the old factory, they had to wheel the, uh, batter, the sausage batter all the way across the factory, like a huge factory floor. It took a long time to get the batter from the, uh, mixing stage to the stuffing stage. And during mm-hmm. that time it underwent, uh, heat slash whatever bacteria related change. Right. Uh, and it was that step that, that that step, that removing that step, because in the new factory it went directly from the mixer to the, uh, to the extruder, like removing yeah. that step changed the, changed the complete flavor profile of the sausage. So, yeah. yeah. In production, you, you stuff yeah. like
5: that in bread all the time.
0: Yeah, because every step in bread, look, you only got like a couple, in, well, brioche has more ingredients, but you only got a couple ingredients. So, every step makes a huge difference.
5: Definitely. And temperature. I mean, whether you load the pan at the top of the rack or the bottom of the rack can make a big difference in the way the
0: dough behaves because it could be two
5: degrees cooler at the bottom of the rack than it is at the top. And I think that people underestimate these, these, uh, the impact of those small changes.
0: Yeah. 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 So, yeah so definitely look so, one, one step at a time. And you say try the proof for first. Just proof it for less. Don't change the variables. Just proof it for less time.
5: Yeah, I mean, I don't think he says in this email how much yeast he's using, so it's hard for me to sort of estimate how long the proof should be. But he's got a pretty good amount of fermentation on the dough, especially if he has the sponge too, um, and and adding that on top of the one and a half hours in the final fermentation, maybe he want wants to cut that down by thirty minutes or fifteen minutes even and start there. But that's always my first reaction when I hear about. Cross separation
0: in any bread. Well, so it's interesting because I think uh, proofing time is kind of the least, one of the least well understood uh, aspects of what the heck's going on with bread, right? Overproofed, underproofed. Yeah. Why is that? Is it just because you're like, well, it's going to expand anyway, so what does it really matter if it's overproofed or is it, I mean, like, is it, (laughs) like, what is it, like, why is that The the.
5: yeah, I mean, because proofing is not just about um, the yeast activity. It's also about the gluten development and formation. And if it's sort of reached its limit, you know, you have these kind of two tracks. You have the dough development and then you have the yeast activity and you want them to happen at the same pace. And if one sort of pulls ahead of the other, you know, the dough has reached its maximum sort of development stage, but it's still proofing. That's when the gluten structure starts to break down and you can see weird stuff happening to the crumbs or the crust. So um, and again, so many every point of the process can make a difference in that. Maybe they're even overmixing it. That's possible.
0: Right. All right. Well, anyway. So, uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, Josh will try this out. Hopefully, Josh will, you know, somehow, you know, reimburse you for your uh, excellent yeah. advice. <laughs> And Karen, by the way, always always a badass with, with the baking. And please, uh, I don't. People can't. Can people just people can't stop by your bakery, right? They have to go to the Green Market. Which days are you guys there?
5: Uh, we're, you know, you can look at our website. We're at many different green markets throughout the city. I think at least 12 different green markets. So you can find one that's close to you and find out what days we're there. Um, but our production facility is in East Harlem in a building called La Marqueta, And we operate a little storefront up here. And people can walk to the back and, and see our bakers in action.
0: If All they right. Like. All right. Well, thanks so much. Uh, support Hot Bread right. Kitchen. And thanks for calling in.
5: Nice talking to you, Dave. All right.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: What? Tell
0: them about the Amazon email. Oh yeah, so we had a—I forget who it was, but it was one of one of uh, you know, one of our friends on Twitter was like, all they said was Google Jeff Bezos question mark email, and so we did. It turns out that if, you, by the way, this is about the fact that that Searsalls, uh, you know, for some reason Amazon, even though they have thousands of them, <laughs> like can't manage to sell them <laughs> properly. Uh, and it's like killing us. We just got another email in today. I don't know if you saw it. Are you responding to these emails? Is Matthew? Matthew. People, yeah. Uh, about Searsalls not being in stock on Amazon. So it turns out that if you email Jeff Bezos uh, personally, and somehow like, like I guess a certain number of them, he probably has an algorithm to look at it. And, and sta- I use the word algorithm. <laughs> Nastasia sent an email to Jeff Bezos saying your algorithm sucks and is ruining <laughs> our business. Yes. And and we got a Jeff Bezos question mark email. So what happens is Jeff Bezos then just forwards your email to one of his uh, you know lackeys with just a question mark. And like, what the? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so like, and apparently if, if Jeff Bezos forwards your email to one of his folks with a question mark on it, everyone runs around like a decapitated so chicken. So I got an
2: email from one of these people that said, uh, I got this email from Jeff Bezos and we want to help you. And I was like, yes. Yeah, So
0: people, we are on it in the worst <laughs> but just possible way. I got another
2: email from them saying we're still looking into it.
3: Like,
0: uh, <laughs> well, I mean like Amazon cares that we're sitting here insulting their algorithms. <laughs> like that's like that's hurting their feelings somehow. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Are you gonna do this? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, back to the Museum of Food and Drink. This is the last money pitch uh, of, the, of the year for us because we're not back until when? You're shut down until when, Dave?
3: It's the week of January 14th, so that would be, what, the 17th? Is that Tuesday, I think?
0: Wow. Wow! No, no that's I'm sorry, a- 16th. That's after my kid's birthday. Yeah, wow. All right, so we're, we're gone for a long time, people. You'll have to ask your questions on... Uh, no, just wait. Okay, just wait.
3: Just wait. Have a little uh, self-control. <laughs> All
0: right. So, uh, as you guys know, the Museum of Food and Drink is incredibly important to me. I mean, it, I came up with the idea. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I like to say this when I'm at, at events, but, uh, you know, my desire is that on my deathbed, it, I will say, you know how, like, uh, uh, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Hemmings. What's his name? President of the United States. Farm. Virginia. What the hell? Uh, what? Thomas Jefferson. When Thomas <laughs> Jefferson Jeez. was like... like
2: Hemmings is the first.
0: What, what, what my point is is that, like, uh, Thomas Jefferson was like, my proudest achievement is UVA. Like, for me, it's like what I want to say is, like, the thing that I want to look back and say that I not, did not was the, the Museum nickel. of Food and Dream. He did not, he did not do the nickel himself. In his lifetime, I'm it's guessing. Just, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the Museum of Food and Drink will have been the most important thing I worked on because it's a way for us to take something that we all love... Um, food and drink, obviously, you know, some of you do it professionally. We all, we all eat it. And to try to create something that isn't just for, uh, you know, the wealthy people that can afford $14 cocktails or can afford to go to the French Culinary Institute or can afford to go to one of the restaurants we work at or to buy fancy food, but really to focus on, um the community aspects of food on what it means to break bread with someone, what it means to understand another person, another culture, another time through food. Um, and so we rely, and by the way, the museum is in kind of a we're in, a, we're in a tight financial place right now. We're still a startup, even though we have the lab. The lab is not really, uh, it's more of a test bed. It's not, we're not a full running sustainable museum yet. We need your support. So uh, we rely, like very much so on donor support to run the museum and to stay independent. We don't take money from uh, Big Food and haven't taken money from Big Food uh, because we want to appear to... We want to be and also appear to be... Straight Shooters. Uh, so please consider MoFAD in your charitable giving this year, especially because this might be the last year you can ever deduct it off <laughs> your taxes. Um, it's mean a lot to me. It would mean a lot to the people who come to uh, use our programs and to the future of the museum. So please go to dono- donate.mofad.org. That's donate.mofad.org. Uh, every little bit uh, helps and you can become a supporter of the museum. Um, okay. So back to uh, the show here for for a minute. So I I probably shouldn't tell this because it's one of the things that's going to be in my book on low temperature cooking, coming back to low temperature cooking. But for all of you that have put up with like all of the crazy rants and raves over the years on cooking issues and have just been for some reason you've been tuning in for some actual tip that could help you cook better, I'm about to give you that tip. All right. So here it is. Uh, whenever someone says how should I cook X, Y, or Z God says but I invented the deep fat fryer I knew you were going to say that right and then when, whenever you're like but God my oil it goes bad for centuries God's like I invented the tube fryer with a cold zone right so bas- basically anything can be cooked almost anything can be cooked to perfection using deep frying right And not least of these is low-temperature cooked uh, meats. Um, They're very, very good finished deep fat fried because, I mean, it's obvious to anyone who has taste buds in a brain that what you want to do is put maximum heat energy input into the entire surface uh, and ain't nothing better than deep frying to do that. Uh, It's easy. It's quick. uh, It's repeatable. These are all things – uh, that everyone uh, everyone likes. Everyone likes things that are quick, easy, and repeatable. It uh, doesn't create a lot of smoke. does create smelly oil, but doesn't create a lot of smoke, so it's not going to set off smoke detectors. The problem is, is that um, foods with batters like French fries uh, – well, they don't have batters. What's wrong with me? Uh, but like <laughs> things that uh, are meant to be fried that are oil-absorbent like French fries, like potato chips, like fried chicken, like donuts – we all expect to have a certain amount of a fry taste. Instead of like wak it's like fry hay. You know what I mean? Because it's like, <laughs> it's like that like, essence of the fact that it's been deep fried, right? And uh, the problem is, is that even though uh, a steak won't absorb fat, there still remains some fat on the outside and to be honest there is unless your oil is brand spanking new and even if it is brand spanking new oil by the way as everybody knows as everybody knows who knows anything brand new oil is no good because you need to you need to break the oil down a slight bit for it to have really good heat transfer characteristics because if it's completely nonpolar it can't in the molecular sense touch your food so it needs to have a little bit of breakdown anyways. Uh, Back back to the story. So there's always a little bit of uh, fry oil clinging to the outside of your meat and it has an off-putting aroma that people don't enjoy and some people are more sensitive to it to others. So even if you can't sense it, this is, by the way, going back to teaching for a minute, Uh, One of the things you learn when you teach or if you run a restaurant and you actually listen to your customers is that just because you like something or because you can't sense an off uh, flavor in something doesn't mean that other people can't sense it because all of our equipment, our noses, our palates, our tongues, our brains are all a little bit different. And so uh, I'll just tell you that even if you can't sense this on the outside of uh, a piece of meat, there's a lot of people that can. And uh, so here is the solution for you go make, like, go. This is like, I did a test, I've done a couple of tests now on it, and this thing works like a charm. Make some broth, right? So if you're doing steak, you can use uh, beef broth, but I've actually just used chicken broth. I've uh, I've used a bunch of different broths, and it really doesn't seem to matter much what broth you use, but get like a container and keep it hot. Right? Then after you deep fry it, now, if you're going to do it only once, you don't need to even get complicated with it. You can just use like a core container or a ladle or something. But if you're going to use it again and again, get a sauce gun, which is, you know, one of those depositing funnel things. They're amazing. I love my sauce gun. Or if you're just doing it at home, get a a gravy separator. Basically, a gravy separator is a a small pitcher that pours from the bottom. And the, the reason why is that grease flows. So you take a strongly flavored broth, hot, and then as soon as you pull it out of the deep fryer, you, you hold it up and you pour hot broth over the steak, flip it, pour hot broth over the other side of the steak or the chicken or whatever it is you're frying. Well, you wouldn't really do this for chicken, but anyway, right? It's not, a, it's not there long enough. It's right when you pull it out. It's not going to hurt the crust at all. It will not hurt the crust. And what happens is is that when you recollect the broth, the fat floats to the top. And so because you're pouring from the bottom, you can use the broth again and again and again to wash the, the uh, fat. Uh, the, the deep fry flavor off the surface of your meat. And it's a win, 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 win. So you can sit there and bust stuff out of your deep fryer like all day and all night. And you're not going to have anyone, no one, absolutely no one could detect that I had fried uh, these pieces of meat. And I did it with substandard oil. I, I, I used oil that was over the edge to see whether or not I could get rid of the uh, aroma off of the meat when I did. And lo and behold, you can. So one of the things, if you really want to use deep frying as a finishing technique because of its inherent positive uh, characteristics, but you're worried about that aroma, just get you some broth. And this goes back to, remember, were you there when we did the hot dog juice?
2: No, I wasn't. Yeah, when we ran out and got it? Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So like one of the things I learned a long time ago was that people people worry a lot about like, isn't, isn't the flavor going to get diluted by the liquid? No, because you're going to use an extremely flavorful liquid. So, you know, it's not, you're not leaching anything out. Like, if anything, it's like a one-to-one trade. And I learned this most importantly when I went out and bought a cup of New York filthy hot dog water and drank it. And that stuff tasted more like hot dogs than the hot dogs did themselves. <laughs> so anyways. Uh, what? One- I got two minutes. All right. So actually, I can get to this last question from Nicholas then. I'm planning on doing a pre batch cocktail for an event. And I'm having problems figuring out how to chill the drink to an appropriate temperature. Uh, it's kind I of a rum it. sour. What? Wine scent. Wine scent. Nastasi says wine scent is the correct answer. Uh, which, you, you know, you actually could. So what you do is you get Ziploc bags, <laughs> fill it with salt and ice, and drop the Ziplocs full of. You got to make sure they're not going to leak and wash them out. And then those will keep the product at the low temperature, right? If you circulate it through that. Just put it on a circulator. The only problem is make sure it's not going to oxidize. Whatever. And anyway. You guys
3: should make one of those things.
0: No. If you do, you owe Nastasia a uh, a cut. Uh, it's kind of a rum sour with hibiscus, so I'm guessing it should be served around minus five C. Since I don't have access, the problem with hibiscus is that when hibiscus gets really cold, it can get a little bit tannic. So you might want to do a milk wash to the hibiscus. Uh, if it's getting too astringent on the back of your mouth as the temperature gets low. Anyway, that's just, that's neither here nor there. Since I don't have access to a professional freezer with accurate temperature control, I was thinking of two options. Putting the cocktail in large bottles into a cooler, filling it all the way up with ice and water, and then adding salt to cool down the ice water to the target temperature. This works great. I've done this many times. This is how we actually serve things uh, when we're going away. The problem is make sure you wipe off the bottles when you uh, get them out so that you don't pour salt water into people's drinks. Also be aware that if you overdo the salt, you will freeze the cocktail Which isn't necessarily a problem, but what you might want to do is every five or 10 minutes check the bottles. If they start crystallizing, it's okay, but if you get heavy crystallization, you need to pull them out for a while, let them temper, and then kind of swap them in and out, but we've done that for years. It works fine. Two, chilling the rum all the way down in the freezer to around minus 20, chilling the other ingredients uh, in the refrigerator, and then mixing the two just prior to serving. This also works great. Uh, Hoping this will end up with an acceptable final temperature. It does. It's a little warmer. It's going to be closer to a Manhattan, probably around minus two or in that range, but yes, that works. Uh, but here's the problem. Uh, do you have any comments on these ideas or possibly a better solution? Uh, thanks. Greetings from Germany. Nicholas. Here's the one problem. Most sour-based drinks are shaken cocktails. And so what you're not getting from any of this is the texture on shaking. And when you're serving a stirred drink at a warmer temperature, it has a different balance. So you just got to make sure that if you're going to serve it's, – it's very, very, very rare to serve a uh, – to serve a – a a sour drink as a directly from the freezer drink unless, and here's the key, unless you're actually serving it as a frozen drink. And if you're going to serve it as a frozen drink, then it's a lot easier because you just – uh, you, you have to mix it a little less alcoholic and I have the proportions in the, in liquid intelligence. You can just go or look it up on the look inside or look at any one of the other people that now have done this and just load the stuff into Ziploc bags and pre-freeze them and serve them as a frozen drink. Cause the problem is, is that sour drinks with their normal sour. Now you could just make a sour and mix it to proportions that are better for stirred cocktails. And what that means is, uh, you know, you're going to pull back, you're going to scale back on the, uh, Sugar and the acid, uh, and usually make it more booze heavy, uh, because it will typically be at a slightly warmer temperature. Well, anyway, there's a, again in liquid intelligence, I have like all, all the ratios you can look at it for a, for a stirred cocktail. Uh, I mean, w- unless you clarify, it's not going to be clarified, so you'll be an enemy of quality for serving a stirred cocktail that's not clarified, but whatever. You know, we're all enemies of quality from time to time. Uh but uh consider making a frozen drink in Ziploc bags. Otherwise, just from a strictly temperature standpoint, both of your other two techniques will work. If you're going to take it away to an away game, then salt and ice is the only way to go. Uh anyway, so we, we we're all done, right? Right, Dave? Yes, we, and no if one? you
2: need a Christmas gift, buy a spinzol or a shirt.
0: Oh yeah. Or both. Or buy them all. Buy them all. Buy not, them. Not as years old. As they say in... Uh, are we going to get those back in the... I mean, like, I've ruined, apparently, everyone's Christmas. Know, it's not me. Jeff Bezos has ruined everybody's Christmas. I know. But Nastassia was channeling my favorite villain from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Buy them. Buy them both. Remember that? <laughs> no. Remember? So, like... Who's uh, that supposed to be? It's the guy, Tote, when, like, they're in trying to get the... Uh, when he burns his hand, Indiana Jones oh, is yeah. holding that guy and the, ba- the evil Nazi guy goes, Schutzen, both!" like that. And it, then they, it. yeah, love that. It's so that's, that's a great movie, no? Is that
3: guy, uh, did he act in anything else? I've never seen that guy. He either.
0: did, he died relatively young. He had a severe alcohol Ooh, drinking problem and died of liver cirrhosis, yeah. Yeah, and his wife also had a severe alcohol, but he's a great character actor. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas, <laughs> Happy Holidays. Christmas. Cooking Issues. <laughs>